Welcome to Experts Only Podcast, sponsored by Clean Capital. You can learn more at cleancapital.com. I'm your host, John Powers. Each week, we explore the intersection of energy, innovation, and finance with leaders across the industry. Thank you so much for joining us. Welcome back to Experts Only. I'm your host, John Powers. Today, we're going to take a deep dive into the ESG space and really understanding the development of what's happening around sort of disclosures and financial uh, metrics in the space that we're going to all be living under in the, very, in the very near future. And we've got an amazing guest, Stacey Swan, who's the CEO and founding partner of a Climate Finance Advisors. But Stacey has a t- two decades experience working in finance, fund management and development. And she's sort of what I refer to as a unicorn in Washington, D.C., which is someone that understands policy, but also some of that's done financial deals. There's not that many of them. And she really gets the space and understands what we're looking for in terms of the development of policy that will help accelerate uh, the solutions to climate change. So I really hope you enjoy the conversation. And as always, you can get more episodes at cleancapital.com. Stacy, thanks so much for joining me at Experts Only. Oh, thanks, John, for having me. It's great to be here. Yeah, really exciting to talk about, I think, some of the most cutting edge issues that, that are facing our industry today. But before we do that, I want to dive into your personal background. You grew up in Washington. You've worked uh, in a really amazing variety of places, including the IFC and the World Bank. You're teaching at Hopkins. You've worked at Treasury. Let's just step back for a second. What got you interested in, was it finance first? Was it the environment first? What sort of led you down this path uh, that that's, uh, that's taken you where you are today? Um, what a good question. So I... Um... You know, the, I got the climate bug really uh, when I started at IFC um, in 2003, and um, I had been—I I don't know if this is on your your bio sheet for me—but I had uh, just not—I had just come out of a year of not working in 2002 because I had been working for a small little company that people might not have heard of called Enron. Oh yeah, um, in <laughs> India. <laughs> So I was uh, I was with Enron in India and Singapore when and wow. I was in Singapore when they went bankrupt. And, How did you get home? <laughs> oh, that's a that's a great story. And in fact, in Singapore, when um, a company files for bankruptcy, the employees who have work permits have forty eight hours to get out of the country. Oh my so lord! Despite the scramble. Yeah. Um, to, did to you leave. have kids over there with you at all? Not at the time. We were kind yeah. of you know we were solo uh, without kids, but um, but you know had to scramble get our stuff out very quickly. Yeah. The landlord had the right to seal our apartment and take our stuff. And oh, my was, Lord. It was very much a, a kind of moment. Um, and we got out and everything was fine. Um, but but not because Enron was there, because they were obviously falling apart at the time. This was in yeah. December of 2001. Um, but, but really, the kind of driver for me um, to go to Enron and then IFC was really the international development side of things. Um, I never worked for Enron in Houston. Um, Enron had these opportunities overseas. We were really yeah. going overseas. Um, and it was an exciting time to be there, both good and bad, obviously. Um, yeah. So, but when I when I landed at um, IFC, I um, so so we came back to Washington. Enron went bankrupt. We came back to Washington. We got ourselves together, and then my husband and I um, put our backpacks on and traveled for most of 2002, oh, um, which is why I had been out of a job from 2002. And then I would come back, and we pull ourselves together. I get a job at IFC. We'll have another interview on that travel because that's wonderful. Uh, yeah, it was great and perfect timing, too, um, in our lives because then, you know, not soon after that, we did have children and you know, yeah. 
can't really put the backpack on very easily. With little... <laughs> so, um, yeah. So, so anyway, um, ended up at, at IFC and I inherited a portfolio of projects um, from somebody uh, whom you may know, um, Vikram Wedge. Oh, yeah. Uh, and Vikram uh, started IFC's carbon finance um, work. Uh, so I came in the door and Vikram was getting uh, promoted to do the carbon finance work to establish that at IFC. And what I inherited from him was a portfolio of projects that IFC and Vikram had started um, that were really, you know, pushing the boundaries of investment in clean energy and climate-related um, things at the time. Uh, the unit, the department that I was in was called the Environmental Finance Unit. Um, and this is and around 2003, 2004? 2003, January yeah. 2003. And I inherited some uh, a program for um, off-grid solar a fuel cell program, so early wow. days of, on yeah. fuel cells, some private, some program that where IFC was facilitating private equity investments um, in small and medium-sized energy-related companies. So I inherited this portfolio and really, that's where I kind of really started to get the climate bug and particularly the clean energy bug. In Enron, I was working for broadband services um, yeah. in the late 90s. Before Enron, I was working in the telecom sector. That was also kind of exciting time to work in telecom with the deregulation and 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 the like. So this was kind of the the next interesting wave for me. Yeah. Um, you know, innovation and um, experimentation, and and then also the climate agenda. Um, so I'd like to for say folks that I was, don't know. Could you just explain what the IFC does just quickly? Sure. IFC is the private sector arm of the World Bank Group, and it invests in emerging markets. Um, and it's meant to catalyze private sector investments in those markets, right? The theory is that you, you create a robust and, and dynamic and deep private sector, and that helps economic growth. And so the World Bank has its public sector lending to governments and private sector lending through the IFC. This unit within IFC, the, the portfolio that I got, and then the blended finance department that I built and then ran, was really like its own little incubator, its own little innovation fund within the organization. And um, we were meant to take take more risks, um, lean in a bit more, even beyond IFC's own risk appetite, and do things that the market um, wasn't otherwise doing, but would have the potential to be um, scalable from a private investment perspective and um, also have development impact. So for me, this kind of brought together a lot of the things that were my own drivers, development, finance, building things, you know, catalyzing things. Um, and that was really how I, how I kind of got the climate bug. That was 2003 and I have never looked back. Um, the other thing I think you know, is that climate for me personally is, is, you know, is the issue that we all need to focus on if we're going to save the planet. Um, So, you know, I I never once since I started working in the climate space, I never once thought, oh, I'd rather go do more telecom or, oh, I'd rather go do private equity. It's, it's, it's a real, uh, you know, it's a really important thing. And for people who have finance experience, it's a good thing to kind of I mean, not many people in the space can say, you know, you're closing in on 20 years working on climate finance. And most people didn't know the term climate change 20 years ago. Matter of fact, I would tell you that, you know, as you know, it's ebb and flowed. There was periods of like 2008, 2009, post the, when we couldn't pass the Waxman Markey Bill in the Senate, people weren't even using the, the term yeah. for years in Washington. People couldn't even use the term climate change in D.C. 
you've now lived through an amazing sort of two decades of growth in climate investment. Is there any like really interesting key lessons you go back and tell yourself 20 years ago? I might even accelerate where we are today. Yeah. I, I mean, I think that we had a number of challenges 20 years ago that we don't have today. Yeah. Sadly. The first was, I think, the cost structure of a lot of renewables and clean energy was was out of balance, given kind of um, the levelized cost of power of other sources. And sure. fossil fuel. The reduction in costs on the on the solar side and on the clean energy side have solved that problem for us. So that's great. Um, the other thing is, I think, 20 years ago and maybe even five, six years ago, we all saw this as a very far off thing. Um, right. And we saw kind of reducing emissions and the changing climate and the impacts that might come from that is very much a far off thing in the future, 2050, yeah, maybe 2100. Totally. And for better or for worse, and potentially quite sadly, we're now living and seeing and observing the impacts of the already baked in warming uh, that we have, right? So, um, you know, even if we stopped emitting um, today, 100% across the board, we'd still have warming that's baked in. It will get a little warmer. And the impacts from that will be things that we have to deal with. Um, that I think has focused people's attention on this. And that plus some other things that have happened in the financial sector have focused people's attention on this in the last five, six years in a way that the prior 15, those of us who worked on climate and climate investment felt like we were rolling the rock uphill a little bit. Um, yeah. We were trying to convince people of things because it was a good thing to do, not because it made economic sense and in dollars and cents, even though we all knew it did, it just felt like it was a, a conversation that was much harder before some of those other things changed. I could have an entire conversation on this. Uh, maybe we'll come back and have this conversation because I really would love to pick your brain on that historical growth. And, you know, I, I have a, a theory, uh, a little bit of the last couple of years, I, I call it from Greta to the boardroom, right? You have Greta's sort of, you know, the cultural acceleration of acceptance of these issues and recognition we got to do something with boardroom action that that is so critical. For you, I mean, what's interesting to me about your the work you're doing uh, is you're now living sort of at, at that apex, right? You've created an amazing organization focused on, you know, driving forward uh, this industry that we all care about and really making sure that we're not going to be living in a decade of greenwashing, but we'll actually see real action towards what we're doing. So can you talk a little bit about your firm, Climate Finance Advisors, and, you know, what, how do, so what led you to start it and, you know, what, what did you guys do? Yeah. Um, so we are a consulting firm based here in Washington, D.C. that sit at the intersection of climate and finance. And um, what makes us somewhat unique in Washington is that we are um, all finance practitioners. So um, the people that we have and that we hire have worked in banks, have worked in private equity, have structured deals, um, have done different types of investing in the climate space. And um, this is maybe not New York and unique in places like New York or London, but here in Washington, you find a lot of consulting firms with policy people. Or, Super unique in Washington. Yeah, sector-based people. The yes. other thing that we have, um, and this is something that you know, um, personally, I kind of get very excited about, is we also have people who've done the public finance, public-private finance side of things. Um, so, in a lot of ways, what I was doing at IFC was. In, in blended finance was taking public patient, public and patient capital and catalyzing private investment as a result. I sit on the board of a green bank. That's the same type of approach where right. it's capitalized with some public dollars. It has a mandate to accelerate investment in areas faster than the market might otherwise do it. And it can use, bring to 
bring to the table a toolkit of, of different types of investment levers, incentives, programs that can do that catalytic function. Very much, very similar to kind of what the federal government has at its disposal in terms of incentivizing investments. And so, um, so we also have expertise in that and, and we do a lot of work around that kind of space. I would say, you know, the other thing that's changed in the last 15 years, and, and again, kind of this, this, this is off the back of some of the, the um, awareness that's been raised in the financial sector. It used to be that climate was an oppor- opportunity set and an incremental, um, you know, portfolio of projects. Yeah. Banks or investors had their renewable portfolio or their clean energy portfolio. But now today, I think the uh, the awareness around climate-related risks across all assets, because all of us have climate risk, and we just don't know how big or small or when it might happen, but we all have it. That's also changing and has the potential to change the way um, investors and financial institutions bake into their system climate considerations, which means that not just the energy side or the incremental opportunity side, but everything has some measure that's able to kind of track and monitor those risks. Um, we do a lot of work around that also um, because we understand how the plumbing is made inside yeah. um, some of these institutions, how they appraise projects, how they structure financing, the different types of risk mitigation they bring to bear, and then portfolio management. So we're doing a bit on that as well. And are you mostly working with, who, who, who are some of your clients? If you can name or at least give color on who you're talking yeah, so we have uh, a good portion of climate clients come from the development world, the development finance institutions, also emerging market banks. Um, and of the emerging market banks that we work with, some of them are quasi-public. So an infrastructure bank in a major Latin American country that has some government function to it, right. um, a national infrastructure bank, but is commercially oriented and is there to kind of invest in the, the country's kind of big infrastructure, transport, roads, energy, you know, water. Um, and we do, we've done their, you know, their climate risk. We've essentially gone in and helped them understand how to bake in climate risk into their system, how to mainstream it so that everything they do has a, a whole of the institution approach for climate change, not just their energy book. Yeah. Um, and that's really important because in this particular country, they have huge water issues They've got some really interesting kind of drought problems. Some uh, they've had uh, issues in the last five years with increasing um, rain intensity events with floods and and um, and road washouts and things like that. And we've helped them figure out how, from a into you know a process perspective, how to integrate the climate considerations into how they look at those new investments. Interesting. So what? Um one of the things that really it's coming out of the new administration moving forward, which I think is very exciting is, you know, I think you know better than anybody. It's, it's, it's challenging for some of the bigger institutions to even measure their impact, right? They'll often measure their GHG impact, but that just does not go far enough in terms of understanding the risks of climate. There have been efforts, uh, for instance, the task force for climate related financial disclosures that are really sort of developing those key metrics for folks that first of all, aren't familiar with, that sort of the, the concept around those metrics. Can you talk a little bit about, you know, how that's being developed and then, you know, what to expect out of maybe the SEC or Treasury in the near future? Yeah. That'll be a framework that we all will be really honestly living under. So yeah. Well, the TCFD is, you know, in my view, kind of one of the more brown, groundbreaking things that have happened in the financial sector as it relates to climate in the last six years. Um, okay. Because it's it's done a couple of things. First, 
the Task Force on Climate-Related Financial Disclosures is, um, is a framework that corporates and financial institutions can use to understand how they identify, assess, quantify, and manage climate-related risks and opportunities across their, their organization or their portfolio. And it's not just about the risk management. It's also about once you have that risk management function, how does it inform your strategy? How does it inform the development of metrics and targets so that your organization can evolve or in increase its sustainability or kind of you know greening, greening of, its, of itself? And also the governance around that, right? Who, who at the board and who at the management kind of looks at that. So that's really important. And it's what's been very interesting about it is that it's given the financial sector a common language to talk yes. about climate-related financial risks. The challenges that we have today with it is that um, you know, we need the tools and we need the translators for different types of use cases. Um, to take that climate-related financial risks and make it into something that's decision-useful, um, both in terms of the way organizations invest, but also if you wanted to disclose what that disclosure means for different um, for your stakeholders and investors, right? That's that's you where paint, paint yeah. a picture for a second of what that you know. If, if we get to a perfect world, say three years from now, this is implemented and adopted across the financial industry, which I mean that may even be an aggressive timeline to have it sort of fully adopted, right? But, you know, if you were an investor looking at uh, opportunities, what would that disclosure tell you uh, about, you know, the way that a major institution, for instance, is investing in their portfolio? Yeah. So kind of going down one level in terms of what we have today and what it could tell you kind of in the future. Um, so we have um, the, the industry around um, identify, assessing, and quantifying physical risks is still growing and is pretty much more complicated than... Um, the metrics and tools that you would use for emissions or carbon. Yeah. You say physical risk associated with climate. Yes. I yeah, mean, yeah. kind of how the climate impacts the returns, the revenues, assets, and costs of a corporate sure. or, or uh, an, uh, a, an investor. And Can I ask you a question on that? Just, is yeah. that because the GHD accounting and metric system was pretty more, is just more advanced? They spend more time looking at those emissions versus, you know, how the, you know, if you're going to, have a warehouse in a, a high flood zone area with the impacts are going to be on your physical location over time. Is that the concept? Basically it's, it's just far more complicated on the physical side because location totally. matters and um, distribution and diversity of your portfolio matters. Um, and then, you know, you have different types of risks uh, multiplying different types of other risks on the physical side. Uh, the, the transition side and the carbon side is, is um, eloquent. It's a bit more elegant in that it has one metric or one type of metric around carbon and carbon emissions. And it's really important, right? Because if we're yeah. going to meet the international goals of staying within two degrees warming, you need to cascade those metrics on the carbon side up so that we can have a better understanding of where we're going, where we are and where we're going and what we need to do to get there. So that that I think the carbon stuff in three years, you're probably going to see far more um, consistency and comparability because people are going to start adopting very similar ways of doing this. And then, you know, then you have an issue of trying to figure out if people are greenwashing or not. A um, couple of weeks ago, CDP put out this report about the financial sector and they kind of said, you know, look, the big banks are kind of doing a great job on their own footprint, but they're not talking about their financed emissions. Um, I just saw yesterday, JP Morgan has a tool that they've just announced that's hopefully going to get there. 
Um, but that's important, right? You can't just... But they're all figuring out their own tools because there's not a common taxonomy for them to use, right? Well, on the on the transition side, I think that the harmonization around the tools will be quicker because the metrics are simpler and right. easier to adopt. On the physical risk side, there's a, there's a real um, practical issue of use case. How your, your infrastructure bank or your corporate invests is very different from your pension fund. Right. And so you need to understand how to quantify the physical risks over time, right? And over time, meaning um, not just 2050 and maybe not even just 2030, but institutions monitor risk every day. So you need to have something that's going to give you your risk today, tomorrow, this month, this quarter, next year on the physical side. And, And you need to monitor that, right? It might be very small now, but you need to know what the rate of changes, how that slope looks, how it changes, what the variability is. Um, you know, just to put it in very practical terms, if you think about, you know, a real estate portfolio in the southern part of the United States, you want to know kind of how much um, flood risk you're going to have from different types of climate-related events over different periods of time. Right. And then you want to know what the damages are and the asset value um, impairment is, and then you need to use that information to make better investment decisions and have a better strategy around. But but if you're a private equity firm with a four year or five year horizon, it's it's a bit, way different view than if you're a pension fund who's got who wants this investment to last twenty five years. Hundred percent, and and so the issue really is, you know, and and over the last couple of years, you've started to hear people say, well, if my horizon's short, I don't need to look at this because I'm going to be out of this asset kind of sooner than the impacts come about. Fair enough. But who's going to buy that asset? I guarantee you they're starting to ask those questions, right? Yeah, totally. Um, There's a lot going on in the space that's, that's, I think, going to be cascading very quickly, um, uh, you know, when it comes to cost of capital. If you were an entrepreneur looking to maybe help develop a tool uh, that that, that could address these questions, what would you be watching coming out of out of Washington would you be paying attention to the what's happening at SEC on this you know is you know, out of treasury like what what should folks be sort of paying attention to here over the next sort of 18 months if they're going to help you know there's a lot of entrepreneurs and and, and folks in the technology space that listen to this who yeah. may have ideas of software that's working in other other verticals they could bring into the climate space yeah i so we definitely need to be watching the kind of um, regulatory space that's 100%. But taking a bit of a step back, we're already starting to see climate risk from the physical side show up in certain types of credit ratings. So there's been right. some work that's been done in the last couple of years out of the IMF and, and um, a couple of universities in the UK. And, and we've done some analysis around it that's starting to show that for certain emerging markets, sovereign bond spreads are being impacted by their heightened vulnerability to climate related risks. Um, there's also very recent research out of IMF that's brilliant, and I hope they do more of it, um, that says that for those countries that have integrated resilience or have resilience plans into you know, their, their national strategies, that hit on the cost of capital at the sovereign bond level will be decreased. So if you're highly vulnerable to climate change, your hit to, sovereign, to your sovereign borrowing is like 100, 100 to 117 basis points. And that, again, as a footnote, that's all in the rearview mirror. That's analysis that is, you know, been done on sovereign bond spreads, you know, up to 2018, 2019. So, right. you know, it's it's 
it's there. The ability to start seeing the signals of climate risk on cost of capital are there. It's also partly because all the rating agencies have incorporated this kind of capacity. Moody's, S&P, and Fitch are all able to start assessing climate-related risks on the physical side and on the, on the transition side. And for me, if you're starting to see it in sovereign bonds and the rating agencies have the capacity to do it, this is going to cascade through asset classes, regardless of the regulation. Yeah. When it happens, how it happens, you know, I think you know, you'll just start to see this come up over and over and over again. Um, uh, so if you were to crystal ball, when would you really start to view this starting to cascade? Well, this is where the regulation may come, uh, may, may kind of catalyze some things, right? Yeah, um, exactly. So I think these things are kind of signals on the horizon. If you know that the that the infrastructure in the financial sector that's supposed to signal risk has the capability to do this already and is starting to do it, you better pay attention, even if the regulation isn't there. And then if you know that the regulation is coming, the regulation is really good for giving guardrails and for a direction of travel, right? right. Um, and, and also for maybe eliminating some of the noise in the system and there have, has been some noise in the system around investors and banks investing in you know, or, or having exclusion lists and things like that. At the end of last year, you know, there were some things that were coming out of OCC that people were a little bit nervous about uh, for fossil fuels. But, but if you have a direction of travel and you have some uh, regulation on the horizon, plus you have the capability in the financial system, I think you'd be wise to really start paying attention to this, getting your hands around it, thinking about climate risk as a financial risk and a material one. Um, it's also a differentiator from a, a peer group perspective. I think sure. if, you're, if you're in certain types of industries and you're doing it and your peer isn't, it's going to start to show up in how you're viewed by the market, potentially also how you're rated by the market. We know, uh, because we've heard this from some of our clients, that the rating agencies are starting to ask the questions in their reviews. So this is coming, even, even if, you know, regulation is rolled out in a, you know, in a, you know, a, a slower way because they want to kind of make sure the market is kind of able to address things and it's not a shock to the system. It's coming anyway. Yeah. I know. I agree with you hundred percent. So, um, well, first of all, this is fascinating. I could spend all day talking to you about this and it, this is a, a you're hundred percent right that this is where the market's coming and, uh, you know, whether it be regulation driving this out of Washington or demand from uh, investors, whether it be pension funds or individuals in the stock market, you know, the, the, this is clearly being pushed. You know, we're seeing tremendous investments today in climate tech in a space that, you know, really didn't, barely existed, you know, even two years ago from the VC space. And there's, there's funds and SPACs and everything else sort of popping up in this, yeah. in this, in this new world. And you guys are really at the forefront of thinking about this. So if you could go back to yourself, when you were coming out of uh, coming out of school in Washington D.C. and sit down and just give yourself one piece of advice from a career perspective, what would you tell yourself? You know, um, gosh, what a good question! It's every day is a new day. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I really do think you know when when I look back at what I was uh, dealing with in the early days of IFC and setting up the blended finance unit, I, I, I recall I had these moments where I was like, oh, can't people just understand that climate is an existential threat, right? Yeah. But the numbers weren't working out and it was always a kind of a convince, convincing kind of exercise of people who were just looking at numbers. Um, you know, I think that um, 
you know, time has been on our side in terms of proving this case. Um, yeah. Sadly, actually. Yeah, sadly. <laughs> um, sadly, and, and, you know, all of us who have children, you know, it is quite an existential issue, right? Yeah. But, you know, I don't think I would have stopped working anyway. I kind of wouldn't have let any of that get me down anyway. But I remember there were moments where I was like, oh, this is so hard to convince these people that this is the right thing to do. But then you wake up the next day and you keep kind of chugging away. And um, I think that's something that, you know, um, you just have to keep reminding yourself, you know, yeah. so it's much amazing. work to do, so much so work, much to, work do, to do. And we need so many people um, working on this issue across all levels of industry and finance and government, you know, it, it's really, uh, uh, we need armies of people. It, it's, it, I think it's a transformational time on these issues right now. And, and, you know, your leadership and experience are going to be really helpful driving this forward. And I'm super excited about all the new folks coming into this industry that are, you know, really making careers, careers out of it that didn't exist even five years ago. So first of all, if you're interested in learning more, you can go to climatefinanceadvisors.com and always find out about the work that Stacey and her team are doing. I love some of the, the writing you're doing. You know, please keep it up and we'll make sure we, we share it as much as possible. And I, you know, I want to thank, uh, thank the team, uh, Anna and the team at Story and Reach Communications for helping to set this up. And uh, thanks our, our producers, Colleen Young and Carly Batten for helping to put uh, the show together every, every episode. And uh, Stacey, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks, John. It's been my pleasure. Lovely you to know, talk. Yeah, absolutely. And we'll come back and talk more about things as things begin to roll out of DC here and the regulations start to pop up, which I'm excited about. Great. You can always get more episodes at cleancapital.com. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks for listening in today's conversation. Find more episodes on cleancapital.com, iTunes, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you like what you hear, be sure to subscribe and leave us a five-star review. We look forward to continuing our conversation on energy, innovation, and finance with you.